Hello and welcome to A Class Half Full, a podcast which looks at the class action system in Australia. My name is Douglas Campbell and I'm a barrister based in Brisbane. My co-presenter is Blair Hall. In the last episode, I looked at one issue which needs to be considered when you commence an action. That is, is the defendant insured and for how much? Of course, it's not the only issue. I must be on a mercenary streak at the moment because this week, perhaps brought on because it's the end of the financial year, I want to consider how do you bring a class action to an end if it isn't going to make any money? By this, I don't mean that the defendant might not have the money to pay, but rather you don't have the money to continue to run the action. Ending a class action by settlement is something that I want to speak about separately. It's not complicated, but there's a fair bit of case law around it. Today I want to consider the situation where money has been offered, but the sum will only cover legal costs or or part of the legal costs, and group members will receive nothing from it. We're diving into murky waters. Everybody hates a class action when the only beneficiaries are the lawyers. Everyone, that is, including the courts, and the courts play an essential role in this. Forgive me, but I'm now going to dive into some legislation and some case law. But I think that in order to try and unpack when a settlement which only benefits lawyers is possible, it's necessary to look at not only the legislation, but also what judges have to say about it. The first port of call is section 33V. I should say that I'm using the Federal Court of of Australia Act here uh, because the legislation in the state systems is very similar. Section 33V says, 1. A representative proceeding may not be settled or discontinued without the approval of the court. 2. If the court gives such approval, it may make such order orders as are just with respect to the distribution of any money paid under a settlement or paid into court. Coupled with this is section 33X, subsection 4, which says that unless the court is satisfied that it is just to do so, an application for approval of a settlement under section 33V must not be determined unless notice has been given to group members. Uh, The statutory scheme is simple enough, but let's consider a more complicated scenario. What if an action was commenced and it was thought to to have, and in fact did have, good prospects of success, but for whatever reason, no funding for the action could be found? Perhaps that was because there was just not enough money in it for a a funder. I mean, I'm not criticising funders here because 
they're commercial entities and their role is, is different to that of a lawyer. But the rule of thumb used to be some years ago that funding was difficult to obtain in circumstances where the potential judgment was less than $10 million. It's not true nowadays, and you can get funding for cases less than that, but it's hard. So the scenario is not, this scenario is not completely ridiculous. It's possible to have a good cause of action and not have a funder who's prepared to back it. So that's the scenario. The other side then offers a settlement or offers to settle the action, but at an amount which will only cover the legal costs or perhaps a fraction of the legal costs. There'll be no distribution to group members. So what do you do? Your situation is somewhat precarious because you don't have the money to continue and you have a lead applicant who does not want to face the prospects of costs. So something definitely needs to be done. I think that to start with, you must think of the impact of all this on group members. When you think about it, their position is terrible. They will have no action, no money, and settlement raises a raised judicata, which prevents them from taking any action. So how can you preserve group members' rights while protecting the lead applicant who wants to get out of the action before any additional cost liability rests on him or her? I think the answer may lie in section 33W. That section permits a representative party to settle his or her individual claim with the leave of the court. There is a further twist to that, which I'll come to in a moment. But the use of section 33W appears to be the best outcome in a pretty dreadful situation for group members because their rights are preserved. So when a court looks at how a settlement may impact on group members, at least you're able to say that group members will be unaffected by the settlement. I mentioned that there was a twist. The twist is something which is eminently sensible and is also found in section 33W. That section requires that in order for a representative party to settle an individual claim, group members are to be notified of this and given an opportunity to step into the shoes of the representative party and take over the class action. In that way, group members' rights are not only preserved, they're given an opportunity to advance them if they're prepared to put their money where their mouth is. In a way, we need to appreciate, perhaps secretly, that this is only window dressing. We know that under the Australian system, a representative party faces the possibility of a cost order being made against them. It's different in other systems, particularly in America. So the poor judge is left in a terrible dilemma. On one hand, a judge does not want a class action to be solely for the benefit of lawyers 
I mean, really, it's a, it's a bad look. On the other, if the reality of the situation is that the action cannot be funded and progressed, then a judge doesn't want to let a representative party hang out to dry and potentially face the burden of a cost order which, which could be considerable. In fact, it could be crippling. You can see that sometimes it's not great being a judge. How then have the courts approached uh, this problem? Uh, there are two ways. Uh, the first is shown in the case of Watton and Queensland, 2009-109-ALD-534. In that case, Justice Rarys made the following observations with regard to the approval of a discontinuance. Uh, His Honour firstly said that the considerations affecting a settlement are not always the same as a discontinuance and that it is important that any order that is made has regard to the interests not only of the present parties but of group members who may be affected by the terms of uh, any discontinuance granted. At paragraphs 39 and 40, his honour comments specifically that in the instance before him, no group member would suffer any prejudice that has been ident identified if leave to discontinue these proceedings was granted to Mr. and Mrs. Watton. And he goes on to say this, the court has an important responsibility of safeguarding the interests of group members as a whole under section 33 V1. There is a danger that when a settlement is reached or a discontinuance is agreed, the interests of the actual parties to the proceedings may receive their paramount consideration, while the impact on group members may not be fully or properly addressed. That is why in exercising the power under section 33 V1 to approve a settlement or discontinuance, the court must scrutinize with great care the way in which any order is formulated in the deciding, decided cases, the courts have approached settlements with a keen eye to ensuring that the interests of group members are vouchsafe. Similarly, in Mercedes Holdings and Waters Number 1, which is found at 2010-77 ACSR 265, Justice Perrin described the test to be applied as follows at paragraph 10. The course of authority confirms that the task of approving uh, of the approving court is to assess whether the compromise or discontinuance is fair and reasonable, which requires one to be satisfied that the settlement or discontinuance has been undertaken in the interests of group members as a whole and not just in the interests of the applicant and the respondent. Consequently, common sense suggests and authority confirms that the applicant for leave bears the onus of showing that the settlement or discontinuance is in the interests of all class members. A settlement being in the interests of all class members is quite a high test, and that's been recognised in, in an alternative approach taken by the courts.
This alternative approach has a slightly less strict test. It emphasizes a consideration of whether group members would be disadvantaged by the giving of approval to applicants to discontinue the proceedings, as opposed to whether the discontinuance would be positively in their interests. This view was articulated by Justice Yates in uh, Simonetta, S-I-M-O-N-E-T-T-A, and Spotless Group Holdings, which is found at 2017 FCA 1071. His Honour said, paragraph 12, in Mercedes Holdings, Justice Perrin said that the question arising on an application for discontinuance is whether the proposed discontinuance would be fair and reasonable, not only in the interests of the immediate parties, but of the group members as a whole. In Lane and Thies, uh, semicolon Beetson and Sunwater Limited, Dixon, Justice Dixon analysed the matter somewhat differently by considering whether the discontinuance would be unfair or unreasonable or adverse to the interests of group members. The applicants suggested that the approach in Lane might be more apt where, as here, the practical effect of the discontinuance, if approved, will be to do no more than return group members to the position they were in before the commencement of the proceeding. I think there is some merit in that submission, but as the question was not addressed uh, in any detail, and as consideration of the present application does not turn on any difference between the approaches in Mercedes Holdings and the approach in Lane, I will refrain from expressing any concluded view on it. There is a, an interesting analysis of this given by Justice Roger Derrington in a recent decision of uh, Francis and Oculus Accounting, uh, which is found uh, at um, 2021 FCA 1275. Don't forget that the material referred to in this podcast can be found on the BEP webpage, which is www.aclassheartfullpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Well, the Class Half Full podcast shouldn't be construed as legal advice to be applied to any particular matter or dispute. Disputes invariably turn on their own facts, and specific advice should always be sought about those facts. The views that presenters expressed herein are their views alone. As always, there's no certainty in litigation.